Nicholas, listeners and viewers, I can't tell you how excited I am to have my good friend, uh, Scott Walton, actually back on the DealQuest podcast. He was on an ensemble episode and a little piece of episode 13, um, but Scott's coming back on, having the full hour with him. And uh, Scott, what are we going to hear about on your episode of DealQuest? Well, you'll hear about three acquisitions I've made. Uh, you also hear the, not only the nuts and bolts, but what it can mean to your culture and why you should keep an open mind to acquisitions. Uh, it can change you and the people around you for the better and provide freedom and independence in many ways for, for you and your family for the rest of your life. I love it, folks. And listen, within that, Scott has a very uh, unique uh, you know, and, and, and intentional uh, approach to life uh, and culture in his firm. And we're going to talk a little bit about how, or a lot about actually how that uh, impacted, you know, these deals and his own uh, succession planning as well. So check out Scott Walton's episode of DealQuest coming up. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out of the box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest listeners and viewers, I'm so excited to have my good friend, Scott Walton, on the DealQuest podcast. Uh, having been in the securities industry since 1992, Scott founded Walton Financial in 1999 with an entrepreneurial spirit and a desire to keep uh, to, to more completely help people's plan uh, for their lives. Uh, he was thrilled to be a business owner and to have the responsibility of maintaining and growing his own firm. Uh, he uh, and his firm offer a highly individualized approach to working with clients through the goal-focused saving, estate and tax planning, portfolio development, asset allocation, education planning, retirement, income strategies, insurance, and group benefits. Companies and individuals trust him to serve their families, uh, giving financial advice based upon age, needs, income, and tax situation. Scott Walton, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Honored to be with you, Corey. What a treat. Um, I'm, I'm excited to have Scott back on. He was actually, uh, as part of a ensemble episode, we did back all the way on episode 13, and this is going to be episode 149. So he was... Uh, you know, in the first quarter of our, the start of this podcast, and now we are approaching our third year. Um, and uh, I'm happy to dedicate a, a whole episode to my friend, Scott Walton. Uh, as many of you know, I do a lot in the financial services space and represent uh, RIA firms and financial advisors, investment advisors. And Scott's got a very sort of, I think, informative and unique path um, as um, what, what was a smaller and growing, uh, you know, practice in the space. Um, Scott, before we get into all that, though, and I, I'm talking about the deals and everything that uh, that you did to grow this thing, um, and so you, you know your unique philosophy and approach. I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up. What did you want to be? Because uh, I don't know, uh, an investment advisor might not have been it, but you tell me. <laughs> well, probably like a lot of guys, I, I saw myself a lot like my father, who was in medicine. I used uh -huh. to to make rounds with my dad. He was a geriatric internist. Uh, with a respiratory pulmonary specialty, had a lot to say, I'm sure, about ep epidemiology. Uh, but I remember going to, to visit uh, people in their hospital rooms on rounds in the hospital. And a lot of what I do uh, in uh, generational financial planning is very similar to what my dad uh, did uh, with, with generations of families as a medical doctor. Um, I, I, there's an art and a science to what we do. And I remember uh, feeling and watching that firsthand as a kid. That's great. I love it. Um, and one other question looking back, and that is, what is the first deal you can remember that you did of any type? It could have been something small as a kid or something later in life. Anything that you can think of that was a deal. 
Yeah, so the, the, the raw deal I got from my mom, um, I was really excited about selling lemonade door to door. And so we, I, I was pretty successful at it. I went around a couple different neighborhoods and came back with a, uh, a stack of cash. I think it was about 15 bucks. Um, and uh, once you go door to door, they can't say no. And I came back and laid out my money. And, and mom promptly took about 10% overhead <laughs> and explained business to me. And <laughs> that was, uh, then, then she went into depth about taxes and, and all that, the uh, energy it took to get the lemonade at the grocery store. So it was a great uh, first lesson in business for my mom. <laughs> I love it. That's a, such a great story. Um, so, so Scott, get, get, tell us a little bit. I mean, obviously, people heard in your bio. Um, but, you know, t- tell us, you know, where you're located and a little bit more about the, the practice, the team and, you know, and, and who you help. And then I, I do want to get into uh, the deal aspects of, uh, of, of your, uh, your evolution. Yeah, great. So um, we're uh, a mom and pop shop. We are there are three of us, plus a dog, plus some koi fish. Uh, I started as what I refer to as the big fancy firms. Uh, I, I did my training with Dean Witter uh, up at the World Trade Center, made a move over to Prudential Securities. Uh, Dean Witter nor Prudential Securities exist at this point. Uh, I still exist after uh, 22 years uh, as an independent practitioner in financial planning. Um, I'm in Homewood or Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, right down from the Vulcan statue, and uh, our office space was the first uh, uh, first commercial building in the state of Alabama to apply for the Green Building Council's LEED certification. And, and really, during that period of time, during uh, sustainability, I helped start that movement in the state of Alabama uh, by starting the Green Resource Center for Alabama, 501c3, uh, which uh, I'm proud to still use those sustainability practices in, in our practice, but also in our physical location. That's great. That's great. So, uh, you know, I, I have a, I mean, I'll, I'll state a bit of a premise I have up front just so the listeners are not, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, uh, so it's not hidden, um, you know, as anybody in the, in, in the space knows, and I know we have listeners, plenty of listeners in the, in, in financial services, in the financial planning, RAA and um, investment advisor, wealth management space. Um, and we have also plenty of listeners outside the space who might run smaller companies in their industry. And, you know, th- these comments are probably g- generally true for most industries. Certainly, certainly in the investment advisory space, over the last 15 years, the deal, you know, number of deals, the size of firms, the amount of money, the amount of capital, you know, that's coming in the industry has been significant. But a lot of the deals you see are bigger companies buying smaller ones, right? You know, and medium ones. And now sometimes we're at the point where, Bigger ones are buying bigger ones. <laughs> you know, even, even bigger ones are buying bigger ones as the uh, as the industries evolve. What so many of my um, uh, contacts and clients who are on the smaller side would like to be buyers as opposed to sellers, want to find a way to grow uh, through deals inorganically um, in addition to their organic growth, and sometimes struggle with it. And you've done three deals. I mean, two of you know a larger size, one smaller one that have um, more than doubled. In fact, almost tripled your business. Uh, from the start. So, uh, you know, I'd love you to talk about that journey uh, and those deals and, uh, you know, how you've been able to do something that a lot of firms your size uh, have not been able to do. Sure. I think everybody in my business, especially with the multiples now, uh, we, we think about it. We think about our exit. We think about our, our cashing in, as it were. Uh, all three of the deals that, that we did were very intimate, very personal, very values based, um, and and I think that's what made that's what made them tick. That was the the connection. It's not like they were selling out to the the medium size or large uh, consolidators where they were just rolling up practices. They they were people that cared enough about their uh, themselves, their families, their households, their the businesses that they worked with, and it, it was a and uh, in, in all cases it was a. Um, goodwill, a relationship, uh, re- respect for morals, ethics, and values, uh, and it was a handoff uh, in in, a, in the most personal way. Yeah. Um, sorry. So yeah. So so yeah, Scott. Let's I mean, so let's break it down a little bit, right? You know, in other words, you know, it wasn't like you were out there hiring an investment banker or a recruiter or whatever to shop for deals, right? <laughs> to tell us about you know specifically how these deals came about. 
Yeah, so I, I think just uh, kind of in the pre-deal phase, the you could call it marketing. You could just call it being yourself, working hard, uh, building your own clientele. And, and in, in that process, uh, I, I met some interesting characters through uh, referrals, through they, they found me, they knew me. Um, early on when I went independent, uh, I had enough respect uh, in our community that uh, there were probably 20 or so people that knew I had done my due diligence, that I had a file that uh, people sought. And it was years worth of study on uh, broker dealers, RIAs, financial planning, and, and people would come check that file out and I kept it current. And so it, it really kind of put me into a, a position of a center of influence. There were people that I could, after uh, a short interview, size up and kind of tell them where I thought they might fit best as far as their clearing relationship, as far as their broker-dealer relationship. Um, and, and so uh, I think just the, the respect that I had in my community, uh, in the industry, and the fact that uh, I, I went independent when I did, it was ahead of its time in our, our community. Um, so that, that uh, garnered a lot of respect and a lot of questions. And it's been fun in, in that earlier phase to help people find their, their right place, their, their right bliss in, in the world. And there were, there were people that ended up kind of following my path in some respect, uh, affiliating through Commonwealth Financial Network. There were others that were uh, other, uh, better fits for other organizations and cultures uh, or, or other clearing arrangements. So just that goodwill, putting yourself out there, uh, being respectable, being consistent. Uh, you, could, you could have headhunters, you could make cold calls, you could go door to door, you could work lists. But in, in, in my case, uh, it was just a matter of, of having been in the industry and uh, going to conferences, being out there. Uh, uh, um, and, and really, I wasn't networking, looking for deals, but, but they came back to me through karma. Um, uh, out of trust and respect. Yeah. And listen, folks, I, I happen to uh, be blessed to have Scott as a friend, as a personal friend of mine and as an entrepreneurial organization colleague and, 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 and forum mate and, uh, and uh, with, a, with a little um, uh, blip uh, during the uh, pandemic. Uh, we've been getting together quarterly uh, for over six years now. Um, and I will tell you that... Uh, one of the things that's amazing about Scott is that the, the depth of conversation, the depth of uh, connection um, that he uh, is, that you have with him when you spend any time with him is, is amazing. And I know that's something that he really relies upon in terms of the relationship with his clients. And, and you know, I, and I happen to know that's part of how some of these deals came about. You know, uh, you want to talk about uh, just your, you know, I was gonna say your relationship to relationship, you know, your, your, you know, just, just how relationship, you know, plays a view in you. I mean, you know, like I, I know you to be somebody who gets on a plane to go see people in a time when uh, most of us, uh, you know, uh, are, you know, or many people, I should say, are moving the other way to doing that less and being in a Zoom box uh, more. So uh, just, you know, I'd, lo I'd love you to talk about your sort of approach, you know, and feelings about that. Yeah, so I, I, we have a, a very intimate culture. Um, my people are around us uh, know that they can be themselves, whoever they are, uh, that, that they uh, can talk about anything in, in confidence. Um, certainly as a professional, a veteran professional and journeyman asking, knowing what questions to ask. There, there's some that you can certainly read off of in a Zoom call nowadays, uh, there, there's somebody can send a spreadsheet. That's, that's the science part of financial planning. When, when you're together and sharing experiences, um, th there's that, that's where the art comes in, um, to, to be humans together and be vulnerable together. But because you're really, you're talking about the most intimate things in life, who, who you want to be when you grow up, whether you're an 80 year old or a 15 year old. Uh, and, and it's neat to be able to, to know in generational financial planning, 
where the money comes from, where the values come from, how they merged with in marriages or other relationships, how they come together uh, to provide that context, plus uh, plus the the life planning council and and how money connects to all all those things uh, are critically important. And I've had a couple of cases just recently where you, there's a fair amount of complexity on on the net worth statement, and and to your point, um, it's easy for me to get somewhere else in the world and to sit down with somebody. And, and to have intimate conversation, um, there's so much more that you get in person than you could possibly get in a phone call or a Zoom call. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, you know, let's sort of go deal by deal, right? So that first deal that you did, talk about, you know, I mean, you don't have to mention names per se, but, you know, like who that was, what what was the relationship that was built there that allowed that to happen? And then, you know, what what did that deal actually look like? Yeah, so the, the first one was kind of an industry referral that I, ment- I mentored. Uh, it was the, a really meticulous guy, a very th- thorough and thoughtful guy, a, a beautiful guy. Uh, he'd had a, a, an early career, was wonderfully successful in the, his second career, which was, was financial planning, uh, had already sold off back at a big fancy firm. Uh, part, of, part of his book had 70 households. Uh, let his uh, lease lapse, and for three days out of the month, for seven years, uh, we saw his clients together, the 70 households on six-month increments, like a dentist or a, a doctor in some cases, very, very methodical. Um, when I use the word consistent, he would ask me the same question in different ways over several years, and one of the biggest compliments I ever got in in my career was he said, you are just remarkably consistent. Um, and and uh, um, that meant a lot to him. Um, it kind of at the later phases, his clients were wondering when he was gonna phase out. He ended up going on a sabbatical for six months and came back and after seven years, we, we put that deal together quickly, but th- it was set up as a continuity plan that if if he died, his his spouse, his widow, would have uh, would have had a value to his practice. Uh, we used a, uh, a few parts in that. We we had your your moving parts are the money that it takes upfront or over a few year period of time, or sometimes a combination of the two. Uh, he he had uh, a staff person that uh, we we talked about the the continuity of that staff person, and and then the time involved in that. And so there was a fair amount of, of practice management of back office things that, that had to occur that we, we saw professional counsel with, and we brought in our, our CPAs and our attorneys. Um, so, so those, those were the behind the scenes things. Um, and, and it was as traditional of a professional management firm's handover as, as it comes. Um, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, CPA, very traditional. He took his own medicine, eventually rode off into the sunset. He retired uh, um, and, and it was, and I miss him. I, I love him and I miss him and his, his clients do. And, and uh, there's still great relationships uh, that we have. And, and now we're working, you know, multiple generations in, in those uh, practices, but it was about as traditionally as traditional as it comes. Um, any questions on, on that first deal? Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. I just want to make some points. So obviously, I mean, you want to talk about a, you know, uh, you know, one of the things we always say in succession planning, the best time to start is now and the next best, you know, time, the best time to start was yesterday. The next best time is now. And, and you know, and, uh, you know, it's like we now going to be tomorrow, right? Because, I mean, you just keep your options open. And if, if you look at it from the seller's point of view in Scott's situation, right? You know, he had somebody that had been working with his clients, you know, that they had a relationship with for seven years. Um, You know, you want to talk about continuity. You want to talk about, uh, I'm sure, you know, and I happen to know this, you know, just offline, you know, that uh, high percentage of client retention, right? Because it's not some sudden change, Um, you know, commitment to to, to the clients know that, you know, this is the, this is the guy, you know, so, so the level of, uh, of planning, and I happen to know that that was very successful uh, for you, for him, for the for, and for the clients, right? 
Yeah, and just to, to talk the the moving parts, uh, we did a five year deal. Yeah. Um, uh, there was some upfront money, and then there was a revenue share for that five year period of time. I think I was getting fifty three percent, and he was getting forty seven percent of the revenue. Um, it was. Um, blessed and anointed by CPAs and, and attorneys, and so it was. It was a win-win-win uh, in the world for for uh, he, for me, for uh, his his family, for his future, for his clients, uh, and and the 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 beauty that it created in in the world, uh, but beyond what is measurable. Um, yeah. So th- those were the moving parts. Uh, the the second one. Do, do you, are you ready for Please. that? Yes. Yeah, so- the second one was was a, a was my uh, we we had a mutual uh, continuity plan established. We had a document on file. Uh, the gentleman was golfing one day um, and went down with mm-hmm. a massive heart event on the second green. Uh, we get a call from the family, um, uh, and this was a, a, a friend, a, a mutual mentor relationship a beautiful relationship. And so a friend of mine died. We knew that we knew the the consequence immediately is that, um, oh my gosh, we're getting, we're, we're taking on Mike's practice here. Um, same moving parts, very different um, scenario where the first was a multiple of around uh, close to 3%. This was a multiple uh, under 2%. Um, in, in this case, a journeyman in the industry, uh, previous career was an engineer, uh, had a number of households. And in, in those households, uh, uh, he uh, had, had decades worth of financial products. It was not a lot of recurring revenue compared to the first that was all recurring revenue. Uh, there was a lot of work to be done. It was, it was a... Uh, a, a, a an act of love uh, mm-hmm. also uh, to step into that role. Um, we, we had to, in meetings, which took two years to really digest that practice fully because we're just, it was so, so dynamic and so different. Um, the, the thing that we had to get uh, pretty clear with, with clients was uh, just, we, we were oriented in a very moral, ethical way very similarly uh, before we could even get, we had to grieve together and then, then we had to move into how we do things. And because a lot of them were engineers, we put together blueprints or allocation plans. But um, in this case, the, the widow, uh, so we, we uh, closed down that office, brought in the son-in-law who was the right-hand man in the practice. Um, we, uh, uh, did a different deal and it was a very quick deal. Um, again, its value in the marketplace wasn't as high, uh, but because it was, it was a mess. Um, it was unplanned for, but luckily he had had a plan to, for the continuity uh, and the succession to occur. Um, and in this case, I wrote a check for about $25,000 a year, every December. Uh, the revenue share was very different. I think I was getting about 75% uh, of the of the revenue from the, the practice, uh, she was getting twenty five percent, and it was also a five year deal. Um, practice management, uh, uh, the back office uh, at Commonwealth in this case was incredibly useful. Um, the the son in law uh, was the spokesperson for the family, and and he he works here every day. He's it, that it's it was really he was a critical part of the transition to. To, to hang on and and I mean I, to give you the closeness uh, of the relationship I, I was at his wedding uh, many years before uh, and so to have Brian come to work with us as a result of his father-in-law's death um, was a, a a beautiful part of the transition um, and and I get to hang out with him every day that's that's great you know it's it's interesting because there's so many things to break down on that one, because first of all, I mean, people underestimate sometimes, although nowadays uh, I think people in the industry are starting to understand it. And I think people across industries now with the great resignation and the t- trouble in getting key people that, you know, one, one of the reasons deal now, this isn't what triggered your deal, but one of the benefits certainly to you. And sometimes one of the reasons for a deal is actually to acquire talent. 
right? I mean, you know, so so you were able to do that, even though that wasn't the driving force, uh, of course, because the driving force was necessity. Um, but that, you know, that was a great benefit. And then the, the other thing that's, you know, uh, interesting, and this is why, I mean, you know, it's it, advisors are getting tired of hearing it because it's been, you know, 10 or 15 years that uh, the, us professionals have been harping on and the custodians and the, the media, everybody's been harping on succession planning. But this is a great example where, because, you know, unfortunately, I've seen, you know, yes, this was a mess in a certain way because it was unexpected and et cetera. And yes, the valuation wasn't top dollar, but the family got very fairly compensated for under the circumstances. And you got, and this is the biggest thing you got to understand without, at least they had that continuity and plan in place and they had Scott, you know, ready to go. Because without that, um, I've seen practices dwindle away to no value. Forget the multiples. The multiples don't even matter because there's nothing left as a base to have a multiple on, right? So, um, and and practically, especially uh, uh, if, if somebody's a solo owner, um, now, of course, he had the, it sounds like he had the son-in-law and there was an advisor, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he owned anything. You know, what happens sometimes is that, um, you know, trusted state's attorneys get involved and they're very well-meaning, but they don't know the industry and they don't understand how quickly the value of that asset is dissipating. And in the time for them to do their due diligence and advise the family, the entire value of the practice is gone because clients have left, not because they don't care about it, but that they need somebody to provide support. And if you go months and months and months without a solution, it becomes a problem. So this was a gift, you know, I mean, that thank God this advisor had, um, you know, the plan in place and Scott and his team were able to uh, jump in quickly. Yeah. And, and that also brings up a good point in the traditional financing. If you went to your bank back, uh, back when that we did that first deal or even, even the second, um, there, there were a few oddball industry uh, specialists that could value a practice. But th- th- nowadays, with the velocity of deals going on, it, it, they are fully aware of what the value of a, of a practice is. Um, but luckily, that I, I mean, it, it, back in the day, I, I had to have a really understanding, trustworthy banker that really knew the value of, of practices uh, that didn't exist back there. I, I, I knew um, uh, advisors of various sorts that tried to find um, uh, financing that couldn't because they hardly anybody understood how uh, financial planning practices worked. But, but now it's robust and there's, you know, a lot of money chasing. Uh, it's definitely a, a seller's market. And there's financing that traditional and and non-traditional uh, willing to back it nowadays. No question. And it's amazing what's happened in that area in the last you know, 10 or 15 years, because you're right. I mean, I've told this story before. I want to get into detail, but I remember uh, probably about 14 years ago, I was trying to convince a bank client of mine that owned an RA firm that only bought one. And then right before the financial crisis and never continued with their plan to buy it because they had to focus on the value and then how to divest it. And I was helping them get out of it. I told them that they shouldn't own RA firms, that, you know, and uh, uh, you know, investment advisory firms. They should, they should lend to them, right? They should, you know, that was the, that was a great business, and they were they were actually looking at it when the CEO changed banks and it didn't go anywhere, you know. And then that was just around the time that uh, Live Oak had come into the industry, and then you know, then you had Oak Street, and now you know you have you know um, so, so many. I mean, forget it. I mean, and then there was little to no private equity in, in the space back then and certainly not minority investors um you know um you know folks like skyview have come in and been you know huge lenders and now also do some investment banking in the space but you didn't have that back then yeah so so you know you had either seller financing or you had you know people that were relying upon their individual banking relationships and you know and and being able to convince a bank that didn't know the industry really that this was a good you know this is a good, um, uh, you know, thing to underwrite. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Um, so, 
So, so these, uh, do I remember correctly that deal one, deal two overlapped each other in terms of the, the payment periods? There was, was a time in which you were you know, <laughs> heavily <to> in debt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they definitely did. Probably uh, by, uh, there were a couple years, it seems like that they did, they did overlap. And I, I remember um, asking my CPA who, who had blessed the, the first one, certainly, um, at what point will I feel wind at my back? <laughs> and I ask that every every year at tax filing and and uh, uh, and, and with counsel. And it, I was I was skeptical enough to go get a second opinion. When will I feel wind at my back? But certainly, um, cer- certainly, you eventually do. You you uh, in, intuitively know it, it its value and it's it's going to work. Um, uh, I think probably. Uh, what I underestimated personally, uh, what was, uh, I probably should have just set aside uh, the, the revenue into a, a tax prep account um, mm-hmm. just because you're showing more income and uh, have par- prepared for that. That that caught me by surprise, especially with that first one. I got better at it the second one um, and, and was fully prepared uh, for the third one. Yeah. And the third one was a smaller tuck-in, right? A yeah, third one. Third one was a, a, a friend going way back in the industry, a different uh, broker-dealer relationship. He uh, had, a, had a kind of a traditional stockbroker type of relationship, relationship with his clients. But he, um, in early fall, I believe 2019, he said, my wife, reti- my wife is retiring from teaching. Um, my father's elderly and, and is terminal. Um, the, now is my time. I trust you and only you will you pay me. And he just gave me a number and it was an opportunity to help a friend in the industry save face for his time. Um, frankly, it was that it was more of a, that than anything else. Um, the accounts weren't profitable. Um, it was, it was uh, not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things and to be able to um to take that compliment that you're my guy uh, and I see you as my exit and I get a little bit for my uh, decades worth of work. Um, that, that was, that was the right thing to do. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a great fit necessarily with the handful of clients that he was working with. Uh, some we've converted and are profitable and good relationships and including he and his, his family. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that was a, uh, it was a, over the course of one year, um, I wrote several checks from the business checking account. Um, he felt good. I felt good. Uh, we're, we're still good friends. And um, the, his, his father indeed did, did pass away. And, and I'm glad that uh, he, he was there for his wife as she was retiring and his, his father as, as he was on his deathbed. So again, very very different. Um, that was just out of uh, out of the business checking account and several checks that had paid off the the practice. But it was another example of, of goodwill early on, a relationship that was built, um, and uh, luckily being in a position to uh, to help out a friend. And isn't that what life's about? Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, that's always your your approach. Um, one question on, on sort of integration of these deals, and then I want to talk a little bit about your uh, the other side of things on your succession planning. Um, so it sounds like certainly on the third deal, and I got the impression on the second deal that there were some um, more brokerage clients, you know, that, uh, and I know that, you know, your focus is, 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 is fee-based, you know, um, financial planning. So talk about, you know, because that's one of the things that uh, people underestimate in general is the integration of practices, integration of acquisitions into the firm. And that could be everything from culture to, you know, employees if they're coming over to, you know, client relationships to technology. I mean, there's all kinds of integration conversations. Um, And certainly one of them, though, is because you mentioned two things. I mean, one is, you know, moving clients from, you know, the more traditional stock picking brokerage model to fee-based model. And then number two, you also mentioned one of the deals was a different broker-dealer. And those are factors that has have some people actually choose not to do a deal, right? They look and they say, 
oh, this isn't the right fit for me. I don't want to, you know, that's going to take too much work or, hey, we're going to have to repaper clients because it's a different BD or a different custodian or whatever, you know, it is. But, uh, you know, but you uh, managed to push through those uh, challenges. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So what we learned about ourselves, ourselves and our culture in, in this process is that, that we're, we're good at acquisitions. Mm. Um, that, that who would have thought that, but we, we are um, because uh, we, uh, they, they were done the, with love as, as the core um, with, with trust and respect. And, and it was, it was a transition. Um, although I understand that just flat acquiring practices, there's still a fairly high success ratio in, in keeping clients. These, these were done, you know, in, in relationships of, of, of caring and, and, and trust. Yeah. So, so the, the books of business being, being very different, um, it's important, I think, just with any type of goal or process you're about to go through to visualize what it will actually look like. We do that with uh, in, in within insurance, right? Visualize, take, let's play this out. Let's play this out over, will there be a long-term care need? Will there be a disability need? What, uh, or, or with your self-actualizing, you've got all the money you will need for the rest of your life, what does that mean to you? And, and so similarly, you know, in, in visualizing how it might go down, sitting with these these new clients, that was that's a, a big deal um, to 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 see yourself in the act of of what what that's going to look like. Is what what it did for us is it charged our culture, our office, it gave us a purpose and a mission as opposed to just managing our existing clients. We, we had a reason to wake up and work hard and, and, and have meetings as a team and our workflow systems had to be just spot on. And, and because of the, the stretched growth uh, immediately, uh, particularly in the, 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 uh, the second and third practice, um, we learned we're good at it, and and we've put the opportunity for more acquisitions out there in into the marketplace and into the universe and the world. Um, there are a number of people uh, in our industry that now know that they can count on us if they chose us to acquire them, and our soulful personal approach to their their exit. Uh, and and their client and working with with their clients. So, um, you know, I, I think it really it heightened our abilities. We learned a lot from it um, after you know a, a couple year digestion, particularly that that second one, or a seven year digestive period, or a, a six month digestion. You know, and that now everybody's kind of lockstep with our culture. We there were there were times though that wasn't it wasn't a good fit where we'd sit down. Uh, in our living room-like office, it is the opposite of Class A commercial space down in the banking center of downtown Birmingham. It is a very comfortable, approachable um, space, again, for people to share their most uh, intimate uh, uh, experiences and thoughts and feelings. Um, and and we, we really, with... with uh, Clients, we make sure that we are we take clients that are capable of trust, capable of delegating. They're nice enough to have around for years and years and years, or even nice enough to have to the house for dinner, uh, or or uh, and and that there's a need to help. I mean, there frankly have been a few times where um, we, we're with they were in perfectly good hands with with somebody else in the industry, but those first two, capable of trust and capable of delegating. You, that's where being in person and watching someone's body language and and there's there's some people that that you can't help because they won't be helped or yes. they're so definitive in their own mind and and so they they need to hear our cultural values before coming into the relationship and and that uh, attracts the right people and it repels the right people yes. uh, so there were some there were some in the process that we let go. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I say, and you and I have had these conversations in private, and I do believe that both the attraction and the repelling are both great. 
Absolutely. Right? Because if you are very, you know, one of the things that many businesses make the mistake of trying to do is be all things to all people. Uh, and then they end up with, uh, you know, I mean, you could have a somewhat successful business that way, but, you know, usually, usually sort of scrambling and you're not clear who your client is, you know, ideal client is and, you know, and you have more issues or whatever, you know, if you have, if you're very clear on who you are and you're certainly, you know, one of the things I love about you uh, is that you are very clear on who you are and, you know, and, and you, you have a very clear culture in your firm and then people get to opt in or opt out. Right. And that's, and, you know, again, I think that's perfect because the people who are opting in know what they're opting into and they're aligned and they're the right people for you. And the people who are opting out who wouldn't be as good of a fit, who you wouldn't be able to serve as well, who wouldn't be as happy, who maybe would be a problem, whatever it is, they, they opt out because they're clear it doesn't align for them. And so both of those are, is, you know, in my mind is a blessing. Indeed. And thank you for the compliments. Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. So, uh, all right. So the final piece that I want to cover here, I want to uh, uh, sort of switch uh, things around a little bit. We've talked about your you know, your acquisitions. You, we did mention that at some point you had a mutual um, you know, succession arrangement. And now that turned out that you were the acquirer, that you were the successor solution for your friend who passed. Um, but um, after a little bit of a gap, you are now in the process of uh, assuring, you know, that you have a solution in case. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and again, I mentioned this earlier in the interview, you know, how we've been hopping on this for years, but still, you know, there are all kinds of statistics that show maybe a third, you know, maybe 40%, it depends on who you talk to, you know, of advisors have, you know, planners have, have their own truly, you know, documented, implementable succession plan despite the fact that, you know, that's what they do for clients very often. Um, and uh, so you're, you're in the process of, of, of getting something in place. Um, just talk about the motivation for that and whatever you want to share, you know, about that, because no matter how many times we've talked on it and people are tired of hearing it, uh, you know, I, I, you know I, it's unbelievably important, as we've illustrated, by what would have happened to that second deal if, 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 if that person did not have you in place. Yeah, so um, I, I have identified my continuity uh, arrangement. Uh, there's a, a gentleman in the industry that I, I respect and trust who's younger than I am by a, a good solid decade. Uh, because our practice has grown to the size that it is, it's, it's, uh, they're opting for, um, he and his team are opting for an insurance policy on me. Um, so they've, we've had a number of meetings, uh, Corey, thanks to you and your team's, uh, counsel, uh, we've, we've really rounded out what, what seems fair, uh, that, that we can remain friends and, you know, like when I issue a life insurance policy, I'll, I'll tell a client, here's your policy. If you need it, I'll kill you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I hope to put it in a file and never, never need it. And eventually when I want to ride off into the sunset uh, from wherever in the world and, and uh, take my own medicine, like uh, Rick, Rick did in that first acquisition, um, uh, that, that, that uh, continuity plan in case of the worst case scenario, uh, which, which means the, uh, you know, the, the coverage for my wife and my four children and, and that they know what to do. Uh, if something happens to me, uh, we've gotten a lot of those details worked out, certainly have the experience from, from our acquisitions, uh, but they started out as continuity plans uh, and then succession plans. So it's something that I've spent a lot of time and thought on, think, thought about who, who who's worthy of my people and my family. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm pleased that I've identified the guy, the ball's in their court and it should be signed off on. Uh, any any time, but I appreciate you, Corey, of being uh, of counsel with you and your team, and and feel like our document is is one of the freshest, most thorough, but also most considerate uh, in that the industry could provide today. Well, listen, I appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, the thing I the theme I want to bring it back to is, you know, again, this was not this is not somebody out of the blue, right? Uh, you know, this is, I mean, one of the things that Scott is great at and, you know, we've said it before is, you know, is building relationships and that's, that's a skill that not only serves you in terms of being able to, you know, gain clients, right. And key industry partners, but also set up these deals on both sides. So this is, this is somebody you've also had a relationship with in the industry, right? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. To, to me, that, that soulful and personal uh, hand, handoff uh, is, is, is critical. I think the, our culture would expect nothing less of, of me. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's an interesting time to bring that up because despite the fact that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to sell out and, and there are serial acquirers and aggregators and, you know, PE back companies that, you know, that will pay top dollar. And 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 I don't judge anybody for what decisions they make. I find a lot of my clients who even do those deals, it's not like uh, they they are still doing their due diligence to make sure they feel that clients are going to be served. Uh, I have very few people in this industry who don't, uh, care significantly about their clients. And for some of them, those bigger, you know, firms will work for the type of clients and type of practice they have. Um, but for some, it's just not the right fit. Um, you know, and, and they, they would, it would be too much of a disconnect and they don't feel like these firms. Um, and again, it's not, not necessarily that they think they're evil people or anything, but it's just the business models, the way they, you know, set things up, the sort of systematic uh, you know, the lack of uh, the level of personal approach maybe that they give, the lack of customization, um, you know, maybe the way it's staffed, you know, maybe the fee structure. There's a lot of reasons why sometimes um, you know, advisors uh, don't want to sell these places, even if it may mean a big check. And to, to have, you know, alternatives, um, you know, of folks that come from a different place. And, you know, I have another client I'm doing a deal for. And, you know, I've, I've said to them, you know, the the, the Target, which is, you know, a decent sized firm. I mean, I think they're, uh, you know, um, uh, and they definitely have offers that are at a higher number than what my client can do because my client is not an aggregator, is not a PE back, you know, aggregation firm. But there are different things that my client brings to the table in terms of uh, alignment of investment philosophy, in terms of an opportunity for the primary guy to stay on and you know, and, and make sure his clients are well taken care of for, and I won't go into a lot of details, but the point is that they are able to present a value proposition that is different. And yes, it's, it's the part of the value proposition is not, we'll be able to match the aggregators top dollar number, but there's other things they bring to the table. And I feel like Scott, you're, you're really in that position as well, being as clear as you are on, you know, on what you offer and the relationship that you've built with, with these, with these folks. Yeah, the, thank you. And, and uh, you know, it's even though I, at the very beginning of the call, I made it sound like we're we're just a, a couple of folks hanging out in our clubhouse. We're we're in 32 states now. And, you know, part of that is because of the acquisitions. And, and so when you say get on a plane and fly, it's it's re, it's really cool to to take a, a referral or a, 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 a new acquisition and say, Let, let's get real together. Um, and and uh, really get to know each other in, in an important way, and um, you know, p- part of that is being able to, to span the country and uh, being being open to to that as a possibility. Um, yeah, that's great. And, and listen, like I said, I know from experience that those those interactions include amazingly deep conversations. Scott is one of the most well traveled, well read. Uh, uh, student of history, you know, I mean, fascinating conversation. Um, it also, uh, if, if, if the other party is so inclined, may include some very, very good wine or maybe a bourbon, uh, you know, and, uh, 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 you know, uh, and uh, Scott is knowledgeable in those fronts as well. Um, so without giving away any of your secrets, Scott, I, I just, um, I, listen, I appreciate you in my life. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, to let people know where they can find out more about you, and then I'll and then I'll we'll close with my final question. Excellent. I'm again Scott Walton in Birmingham, Alabama, and my phone number is 205-871-0154. And you can find us at waltonfin.com and email us Scott at waltonfin.com. Love it, folks. It, it, I'll tell you. The fact that very few people give out their phone number first these days, that should tell you something about what we've been saying about Scott Wong. Um, So, Scott, my final question, my friend, is, as you know, freedom is my highest value in life. It means to me everything from uh, freedom from oppression from all people around the world to why I've been an entrepreneur since I was 15 and had my own, you know, uh, law firm for over 30 years. Um, What does freedom mean to you in your life and business and how does it apply? So that's a real Corey type type question. Um, yeah, at the free, freedom 
to me uh, is is space and time um, and how I use that, uh, like you mentioned, is, is travel and experiences. Um, uh, I uh, love a good quest. If I can pair it with literature, alcohol and friendship, that that's uh, that's living rich to me. Uh, a lot of people define rich by money, but um, to me, it's it's uh, depth of life, which comes from experiences and connections. And uh, to to me, that is that is the ultimate freedom. Love it, love it, love it, Scott Walton. Thank you so much for being a return guest uh, on the Deal Quest podcast. Love you, brother. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, Go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.